0: Section twenty of Twain's and Howells on each other. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. My Mark Twain Literary Friends and Acquaintances by William Dean Howells. Chapter nineteen. The occasions which brought us to New York together were not nearly so frequent as those which united us in Boston, but there was a dinner given him by a friend which remains memorable from the fatuity of two men present, so different in everything but their fatuity. One was the sweet old comedian Billy Florence, who was urging the unsuccessful dramatist across the table to write him a play about Oliver Cromwell, and giving the reasons why he thought himself peculiarly fitted to portray the character of Cromwell. The other was a modestly millioned rich man, who was then only beginning to amass the monies afterward heaped so high— and was still in the condition to be flattered by the condescension of a yet greater millionaire his contribution to our gaiety was the verbatim report of a call he had made upon william h vanderbilt whom he had found just about starting out of town with his trunks actually in the front hall but who had stayed to receive the narrator he had in fact sat down on one of the trunks and talked with the easiest friendliness and quite, we were given to infer, like an ordinary human being. Clemens often kept on with some thread of the talk when we came away from a dinner, but now he was silent, as if high, sorrowful, and cloyed, and it was not till well afterward that I found he had noted the facts from the bitterness with which he mocked the rich man, and the pity he expressed for the actor he had begun before that to amass those evidences against mankind which eventuated with him in his theory of what he called the damned human race this was not an expression of piety but of the kind contempt to which he was driven by our follies and iniquities as he had observed them in himself as well as in others it was as mild a misanthropy probably as ever caressed the objects of its malediction but I believe it was about the year 1900 that his sense of our perdition became insupportable and broke out in a mixed abhorrence and amusement which spared no occasion, so that I could quite understand why Mrs. Clemens should have found some compensation, when kept to her room by sickness, in the reflection that now she would not hear so much about the damned human race. He told of that with the same wild joy that he told of overhearing her repetition of one of his most inclusive profanities, and her explanation that she meant him to hear it so that he might know how it sounded. The contrast of the lurid blasphemy with her heavenly whiteness should have been enough to cure any one less grounded than he in what must be owned was as fixed a habit as smoking with him. When I first knew him he rarely vented his fury in that sort, and I fancy he was under a promise to her which he kept sacred till the wear and tear of his nerves with advancing years disabled him. Then it would be like him to struggle with himself till he could struggle no longer, and to ask his promise back, and it would be like her to give it back." His profanity was the heritage of his boyhood and young manhood in social conditions and under the duress of exigencies, in which everybody swore, about as impersonally as he smoked. It is best to recognize the fact of it, and I do so the more readily, because I cannot suppose the recording angel really minded it much more than that guardian angel of his. It probably grieved them about equally, but they could equally forgive it nothing came of his pose regarding the damned human race except his invention of the human race luncheon club this was confined to four persons who were never all got together and it soon perished of their indifference in the earlier days that i have more specially in mind one of the questions that we used to debate a good deal was whether every human motive was not selfish we inquired as to every impulse, the noblest, the holiest in effect, and he found them in the last analysis of selfish origin. Pretty nearly the whole time of a certain railroad run from New York to Hartford was taken up with the scrutiny of the self-sacrifice of a mother for her child, of the abandon of the lover who dies in saving his mistress from fire or flood, of the hero's courage in the field, and the martyrs at the stake each he found springing from the unconscious love of self and the dread of the greater pain which the self-sacrificer should suffer in forbearing the sacrifice if we had any time left from this inquiry that day he must have devoted it to a high regret that napoleon did not carry out his purpose of invading england for then he would have destroyed the feudal aristocracy or reformed the lords as it might be called now. He thought that would have been an incalculable blessing to the English people and the world. Clemens was always beautifully and unfalteringly a Republican. None of his occasional misgivings for America implicated a return to monarchy, yet he felt passionately the splendor of the English monarchy, and there was a time when he gloried in that figurative poetry by which the king was phrased as, the majesty of england he rolled the words deep-throatedly out and exulted in their beauty as if it were beyond any other glory of the world he read or read at english history a great deal and one of the by-products of his restless invention was a game of english kings like the game of authors for children i do not know whether he ever perfected this but I am quite sure it was not put upon the market. Very likely he brought it to a practicable stage, and then tired of it, as he was apt to do in the ultimation of his vehement undertakings. End of chapter 19